Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. I hate to wind that time down because to me that's so important that, that our relationships are real, that there's real joy that we have in our family together. Um, so if you are, um, are you, if you are in one of those situations where we realize the holidays can be tough and there are so many emotions and situations that come up during a time that's supposed to be joyful, I would just give you a word of encouragement that there are people in this very room who can empathize and who can love you. Uh, but we got to be willing to, to be on honest and, and share where we're at. And so uh, I'm praying that you are sensing that this is a space where the healing of God is available to you. Uh, I want to dive into our, our uh, message for today. We are in week number seven of our eight-week Bible challenge of the Immersed Bible. How many people still fighting along? You still, still staking it in? Amen. Keep fighting. Don't give up. Let the Word of God get in there. It's coming pretty fast, I realize. Uh, this week we are going to be looking at the Gospel of John and, and come into one of my, one of my favorite stories that I'll, I'll share a little bit about later on. Um, but I'm going to read to get us started from the Gospel of John chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn there or get there digitally. Um, and then once you get there, if you would stand, the words will be on the screen if you don't have it. Um, but John chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses uh, 22 through 28. Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 22 through 28. If you have it, can you say amen? Amen. Let me give a little context as we, as we read this verse. Jesus has just... Uh, done one of those amazing miracles he's just fed 5,000 people uh, and so after that miracle happens the, the story continues uh, for how Jesus is teaching and ministering uh, to those that are following and trying to understand more about him in the kingdom John 6:22 says the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Bow with me, please. God, we are grateful today. We're grateful that you have kept us, that you protect us 
from dangers seen and unseen. God, that you are working in our lives and in our families and even in this community that we call South Bay Community Church. God, just continue to pour out a blessing. Continue to manifest your spirit. Give us eyes and ears that we may see and understand how to be the people that you've called us to be. God, in this moment, allow your word to pour into our minds and our hearts. God, transform us, change us from the inside out. And we will give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. We long to be like you. So use this moment, God. Decrease the messenger that your message may go forth. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's children said amen and amen. God bless you. You can have a seat. The point behind our series and the way that we are reading the Bible, going through it relatively quickly in in just eight weeks, was so that we could just kind of hear the story of the Messiah and and get kind of an arc for what God has done and continues to do in this world and through his people. And so as we are kind of going through this New Testament uh, New Testament uh, books very fast, the idea is that you will just hear something in the story that will give you a new way of encountering or experiencing Jesus. And so I want to encourage us to think about this story um, maybe in ways that we haven't thought about. Most of us have probably heard this story. It's, it's one of the most popular stories in the Bible, and it's one of the few that actually appears in all four of the Gospels. And so anytime something shows up in all four of the Gospels, to me, I think it must mean that everybody who knew Jesus thought it was important. So I was interested in this story and, and what Jesus was doing. This week, our, our, uh, our D that we're doing, we've been looking at ways of encountering Jesus with the letter D. And this week is Jesus the distributor. Now, the obvious way to think about that is in the context of the story is that Jesus had a multitude of people who were following him around. And as he was teaching and preaching and healing and doing all that he was doing, a huge mass of people. Uh, The Bible says 5,000 men plus women and children. So there were literally thousands and thousands of people on the Sea of Galilee following Jesus around. And uh, as he was teaching and preaching and, and healing the sick, uh, they, would, they would continue to, to be close to, his, um, to the places he was moving as he was moving throughout the region of Galilee, and oftentimes it would get to the end of the day, and there was this huge crowd, and there wasn't any food for them. And so Jesus, in his graciousness and compassion, literally fed the people. The story says that there was a little boy who had Uh, five loaves and two fish. And the story of John 6 opens with them taking this little boy and his provision to Jesus. And Jesus looks up to the heavens and gives thanks and begins to multiply the small portion of food and ends up feeding thousands of people. And they were fed till they were full, stuffed, And then they picked up 12 extra baskets of leftovers. Amazing. Miraculous. 
And so we hear this story, and the natural conclusion from that is when we take the little bit that we have and we put it in Jesus' hands, he's able to multiply it and do many things with it. And I think that's absolutely true. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a powerful lesson and normally how I have heard this portion of Scripture preached. But as I came to it today, I, I wondered, is there something else that's in this story? Is there a story behind the story? And so I, I tried to think about it from other people's perspectives. And I tried to think about why was Jesus responding to this mass of people this way? I mean, think about it. You're, you're one of these people that is following Jesus. And again, you've got the, the Sea of Galilee, which is a, a, a huge body of water in the middle of the desert, basically. And so there's all of these little towns dotting the outside of the sea. And so Jesus would travel from one to the other, sometimes by boat, sometimes walking around. And, and you hear about this Jesus, this guy who's doing amazing things. He's got incredible power and wisdom and authority. And so you go out to the desert to see him. And he's talking, and he's preaching, and, and, and you're, you're so mesmerized by him. But, but part of what happens is you hear that he's got some power, and you've got some needs. See, a lot of the crowds were there because they wanted to get healed or they wanted something for their family, or they were worried about some current situation. There was some kind of crisis, and they thought that this Jesus could respond to their crisis and heal or move or deliver or supply their needs. And so Jesus knows that not everybody in that crowd wants to really know about him or the kingdom. Some people are there for the hookup. <laughs> you know any hookup chasers? People just go around looking for the hookups everywhere. Don't really invest in anything. They just want the benefits package. And so there are these thousands of people. And I wondered, why would Jesus do what he did? He looks at this crowd, and he knows they're hungry, and he chooses to feed them. Instead of sending them away and saying, you know what? Only the people that are really about my, mass, my father's business, only the people that are really sincere about the kingdom, those are the only ones I'm going to feed. I'm going to send the rest of them away. I wonder why he didn't do that. I might have done that. Some of y'all might have done that. Thinned out the herd a little bit. Get down to the people that were really about what you wanted to be about. Why would Jesus continue to respond to the needs of the masses? He feeds them. And they're filled till they were absolutely stuffed. And the story picks up saying that then he got in a boat and he went to another part of the sea and this whole mass of people traveled around the edge of the sea to meet him where, they, where he went. He went there by boat. So they traveled around the edge of the sea. They got over there and they said, Rabbi, we're looking for you. We want to be with you. And he said, you don't want to be with me. You just want another sandwich. You heard I got fish sandwiches and you're hungry. You came for the fish sandwich. So he's not fooled by their motives. But he continually chooses to feed them. Why? What was he really trying to get to? Well, if you follow the story, something else interesting happens. He begins to speak to them, and he begins to teach them, and he, and he says, now, here's the deal. You came for regular old bread, but I've got something better. I am the bread of life. The very thing that you think you need to sustain yourself, I actually am that. 
that your ancestors, they ate bread in the wilderness, but they all died. So if you keep eating that kind of bread, if you keep seeking out what is necessary for just normal human function and sustenance, if you keep chasing this down, you will end up dying just like they did. But I'm offering you something that will give you life eternally. So he was really interested in giving them a different gift than just the food. But then he goes on to say something else. He says, well, if you really want to be part of this, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's pretty spooky stuff. I mean, 2,000 years, that's like some, that even then it's kind of like some cannibalism, vamp, that's some strange stuff to be saying. And so naturally people are like, uh, what did he just say? He wants me to eat his flesh? And drink his blood? Uh, I'm not sure about this. And the Bible says that people began to start grumbling. Next slide, Stephen. People began to grumble. People began to, to say, I'm not sure about this. I'm offended by this. I can't, I can't hang around this guy if he's saying this crazy stuff. And to me, that's so interesting because I think we often think about Jesus drawing people to him. But do you realize a lot of people spent most of their time walking away from Jesus? As soon as he said this, they like, we're offended. You're talking crazy. You're asking for more than we can commit to. And so thousands and thousands of people began to walk away from Jesus. It said they turned their back and refused to follow him or believe him anymore. Because he said something that was outside of their comfort zone. He was making a, a call to them to do something that they couldn't quite understand and weren't sure really what he wanted, but whatever it was, I don't think I'm signing up for that. And thousands upon thousands of people deserted Jesus. <laughs> and it says that at the end, he asked a question. After everybody has left, and from what I can tell in the story, it sounds like he's back down to 12 people. You had a crowd of 10,000, 8,000, at least 5,000 people. And you start teaching, and then you end up with 12. That is not a good sermon. That is not a plan for church growth. But he's down to 12 people. And then he looks at them and he asks this question, don't you want to leave as well? Why are you still here? What was Jesus doing? What was he trying to get at? I think Jesus was very intentional about how we engage the crowds and how we engage those that were left over. And so I call this the idea of the distribution principle. And the phrase is that your gift will make room for you. If you are in a place where you can be generous, if you can be gracious, if you can give some kind of gift that opens up space for new possibilities that didn't exist before the gift was given. And so this is what I think Jesus is really doing, that he is, he, he's trying to make the point that if I can give something that will get their attention, the Bible says it this way, if you know somebody who's hungry, and you want to bless them, 
and you want to teach them about the great things of God, and you've got so much wisdom to share, before you start preaching, give them a sandwich. Give them something to drink. Give them something that can deal with the immediate need because people are so consumed by all the crisis and all the worry and all the pain that they can't hear what we're talking about Jesus if they're so steeped in their current condition. And so he said that for a very practical sense, you got to feed them before you feed them. And so what Jesus was doing is he was giving the gift to the masses, knowing that they just wanted the food, knowing they just wanted the hookup, but he continues to bless them and us because he's trying to keep us around long enough that he can have a different conversation. The gift opens the door. It makes room for new possibilities. The book of Proverbs puts it this way. A gift opens the way for the giver and ushers them into the presence of greatness. A gift is a door opener. A gift opens up conversations. It it reduces tension. It allows for intimate or at least ongoing relationship and communication to happen. I mean, this is Christmas season coming up, right? We're in the holiday season. We're, We're in this time where gift giving is a big deal. And And, you know, what we're supposed to say is that um, it's better to give than to receive. And that we love the joy, you know, especially with parents. We got, you know, young people in the family that we just love giving them gifts so that we can see the joy on their faces when they open it. I, on the other hand, kind of like gifts. Maybe it's just me. But I still get a little excited when I look under the tree and a box got my name on it. Okay, all y'all holy people don't do that. Now, y'all spiritual over here. But I'm still tempted to be interested in receiving as much, if not more, than I am in giving. And we just kind of get in that habit. And that's what was happening with this crowd. They, They saw Jesus, and they couldn't help but base the nature of their relationship with Jesus on what they thought they were going to get from him. And so when Jesus began to teach in a way that was uncomfortable, they didn't have enough foundation or commitment to Jesus to weather the difficult times, to get out of their comfort zone. And Jesus wasn't really trying to feed the crowd. He was trying to give them a gift of eternal life, but they had to be around him long enough for him to teach them about it. So what I think he's doing is he's trying to give us a model of gift giving. I mean, think about the gifts that you're giving out in the next few weeks. The phone calls that you make to a friend or someone that you care about. The opportunities just to give away kindness or forgiveness or patience. Matter of fact, God said, I have made each one of you to be a gift to this world. You are yourself a gift to this world. If, if we give ourselves away, what I'm saying is that the Bible says that we're opening up the door that may usher people into greatness. You yourself, giving yourself to those that you love, giving yourself to those that you don't like that much. As you are a gift to this world, you are ushering people into that space where the presence of God may encounter them and change their lives forever. And here's the good news. Many of us will have a chance to practice that this week. Amen. Thanksgiving holiday. As the outlaws come over to eat. All them people that you haven't seen since last Thanksgiving 
and are grateful. Coming back. Pastor Long last couple weeks ago talked about Jesus being a developer. And that when we have these moments, when somebody cuts us off or we're, when we're having a, a moment of conflict, that we can pause right there and say, God, thank you that you're still working on me. Thank you that you're still developing me. But I'm saying even in addition to that, we can in that moment say, God, how can I be a gift in this moment to usher in the presence of your greatness? And this Thursday, we will have that opportunity. Praise God. Any and all time, God, he's giving it to you this week. That there was someone that you will have the opportunity to make a decision. How will you treat the opportunity to give a gift? And what's the motivation? See, Jesus gave away bread because he was trying to show them that I am the bread that gives you eternal life. What would your gift generate this week? What transformation could only happen if the Spirit of God was in the presence. And, and you know the history. You know, how, you know how the interaction usually goes. You know the tension points. You know the hot buttons. We know how this thing could turn out. Same way it turns out every year. Mad. Drinking too much. Talking about people. We know how that story goes. But what I'm saying is that God says, use the gift-giving opportunity to open up the possibility for my spirit to transform your circumstances. See, I think the issue is that we often only think about God inviting God into the crisis moment. That's what the crowd was doing. God, I got an issue. God, I'm hungry. God, my child is sick. God, my own health is bad. God, I've got some kind of ailment. We got a crisis moment, and so we cry out to God. We plead for God. God, please show up and do something in my crisis. And he does because he's so gracious, and he's such a provider, and he's so full of love. But the question is, what do you do after the crisis? What happens to a relationship with God after the moment has passed? See, because God fed the crowd, everybody is full, everybody is satisfied, and then he begins to teach things that are hard. And here's what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, that sometimes right after the crisis passed, God starts teaching us things that we didn't really want to hear about. He starts talking about things that are going to make us uncomfortable, things that are going to stretch us, things that are going to call us to, to think about ourselves and the world and our lives differently. And so if, if we're only going from hookup to hookup, we miss the real opportunity to grow in God because we shut him off after the blessing comes. But he's saying in that moment, I fed you so that you could really hear me. And let me begin to teach you about what it means to be walking with me when he says those things like you can't really love me if you don't love the brother that's sitting beside you. That if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross daily and die to yourself that I may be revealed in you. That as wonderful and talented as you are, that if you're not depending on God, your life won't accomplish all that it could because he is the vine and we are just the branches. 
And so he calls us to strip away all the things, to peel back the layers so that he can have a deep, heartfelt, intimate, transformative interaction with his people that will give us a brand new mind, a brand new heart, a brand new way of seeing this world. But that means we got to be open to hearing from God after he responds to the crisis. We can't just sing the prayer. He's an on-time God. Oh, he put the ends in my month. My, when I was short, he showed up just in the nick of time. He was my doctor and my lawyer and my provider, and I'm going to call him next time I got a crisis. Amen. Okay. Amen. But I would say that sometimes the most powerful moments with God happen right after he responds to your crisis moment. See, he blessed you, he restored you, he healed you, he kept you because he was trying to get your attention. He said, I know you're hungry, I know you got a need, I know you need to eat, let me feed you that I may teach you and bring you closer to me and my father. And then this last part is what I love because when, when he does that, not everybody's gonna stick around. And some people tell you, you know what, well, you, you know, you're doing a lot with that Jesus thing. You're kind of putting a lot on it. I mean, you really going to live your whole life by the Bible? I mean, you really going to follow what that says? I mean, we about to go have some fun over here. Just, uh, you know, close that book for a little while. Let's go do this, what we do. Let my mind and my thoughts be shaped by the word of God, not a society that's trying to poison me and kill me. And, and when God's word comes out, and it's offensive to the community and the world around us, are we going to walk away with the crowd or are we going to stay close to Jesus? It depends what we really want. Because those 12 apostles were there and the whole crowd was gone. And he looks at him and he says, are you really with me? Am I really enough for you? Do you really long for me or do you just want the benefits I can provide you? And Simon Peter, who is known for saying stupid stuff, known for saying stupid stuff, gets this one right on the money. He nails it. He looks back at Jesus and he says this. He says, God, where else could we go? Who else could we turn to? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else could we go? Who else could we really trust in? When the world around us seems crazy. When, when our leaders seem out of touch. When we have wars and rumors of war and polluted air and natural disasters and things seem to be crashing around all around us, where else can we go but to Jesus? And it's a call to respond and say, God, I desire you. You are my reward. You are the center of my joy. You are my beginning and my end, my sustainer, my keeper. And I will cling fast to you. I think that's such a beautiful response. And, and you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was in Israel a few years ago when we took a trip in 2010. 
And, and um, this is when this story became very real for me. We were traveling around the Sea of Galilee, and we went to this city of Capernaum, where the ruins, you know, what's left of the city. And in the city, there is this big temple, um, the ruins of the temple. So you, you can't really see much left, but this was the synagogue. And so this is literally the place. It says, Jesus taught all these things at the synagogue, at the temple in Capernaum. And so we are literally on this place, walking around the actual place where Jesus was probably standing in front of those columns, holding the scripture, teaching. And I just went to the back of the synagogue and sat down. And I was reading John 6 and thinking... Who would I be? Would I be in the crowd that thinks about all the wonderful things God can give me and do for me? Or would I be one of the 12 that would be faithful with all of my heart, mind, body, soul, and strength? And so I went to the back. Next slide, please, Stephen. I was sitting right here on that little corner. And I thought, that's what I'd have been doing. I'd been sitting in the back of the church listening to Jesus talk. And I've heard about all these wonderful things he can do. And I heard about how powerful he is. But man, he is calling me to be something different. He's calling me to live my life by a different set of rules. He's calling me to stop playing the church game. You know, you can be in church a long time and never know Jesus. You know, you can be you can be serving and you can be hosting and you can be singing and we can do all kinds of things here and never have gotten past Jesus is my bailout, my get out of jail free, my, my emer- break glass in case of emergency. I've never really had a relationship with him. I've never really surrendered to him. I'm just here for the fringe benefits because Big Mama told me to go to church. And I sat in the back of that corner that synagogue. And there's been about three or four times where I feel like God and I had a real heart-to-heart conversation. And I read John 6. And he said, if you really want to be with me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now we know thousands of years later that it's really a reference to communion, right? It's really about allowing the price that Jesus paid for my sin to be enough, to stop trying to manifest or manufacture some kind of good life, but realize that every good thing I have, every good thing I do is a gift of God's grace. To realize that I, on my best day, am a filthy rag compared to the glorious God that I serve. To be humble enough to say, God, I need a savior. I need you to be over my finances. I need you to be over my relationships. I need you to be over my priorities. God, I need you to do what I can never do for myself. And I surrender. I'm tired of trying to carry this by myself. I'm tired of making the same mistakes. I'm tired of banging my head into the same walls. I'm I'm tired of being lost and hurt and disappointed. I'm tired for somebody else trying to be the joy that I can only get from you. 
<coughs> and I sat in that corner. <coughs> I don't know how long it was. We were usually spending about 20 minutes as we moved around from place to place. But I remember I sat on that stone right in the corner. And I heard Jesus say, so are you going to go or are you going to stay? And he wasn't talking about Capernaum. He was talking about in his presence. And are you going to allow me to shape your life and make it into something beautiful, something significant, something eternal? And in that moment, I'd been saved for a long time. But in that moment, I said yes to God like I hadn't really before. That I would take whatever I had my little bit of bread and my couple of fish and I would say, God, it's yours. I, I can't do much with it. The needs are too big. The demands are too heavy. So God, I'm just going to give it to you and watch you do something miraculous with what I put in your hands. So I want to ask us, I want to give us just a moment to really just kind of, kind of shut yourself in and literally think about the few days that are coming ahead. The people that you're going to encounter, co-workers, neighbors, close family, distant family. And what would it look like for you to say, I'm going to be a gift that opens the door and ushers in the presence of Jesus. I'm not going to do what I normally do. I'm not going to say what I normally say, or I'm not even going to try to, I'm trying not to think what I normally think, but God, I just want to, to die to myself and be a gift that you and your greatness may come rushing in. Because I'm telling you, when that happens, that's a moment of worship. Wherever the presence of God is, worship flows. So I'm saying, brothers and sisters, if you can give the gift of forgiveness, if you can give the gift of silence, if you can give the gift of patience and mercy, you're worshiping just like it happened when Jesus was there you know what some people are going to walk away some people aren't going to accept your gift some people aren't going to respond to your act of love but Jesus said if they did it to me <laughs> you can expect them to do the same thing to you so how they respond isn't the issue the issue is will you be the gift that opens up the the Spirit of God to come in. So I want you to take a moment and think about what that might look like this week. Who is that person? What's that circumstance? What's that situation that a brand new you could make a brand new possibility? 
let's just put it in the hands of our God and worship him for his power and see what he may do with the little bit we put in his hands. So I'm going to give you a minute right now and begin to pray for God to give you a vision of how he is moving in your life just this week. Jesus, we need your spirit. God, we need your power. We need to be reminded that every promise that we have from God is made yes in Jesus. So God, forgive us when we when we continue to do things our own way. God, when we don't we don't make enough space for you to come in and have the final word, the first word, and the last word. God, help us just this week to allow the spirit of a loving God to shine through us. You called us to be salt and light. You called us to be those who draw all men and women unto you. So, Father, we give ourselves to you, God. We ask that we may decrease so that you may increase in us. Remind us, Father, that we don't have the strength to do it, <clears throat> but that your strength is made manifest in our weakness. Give us your eyes that we may see your children the way that you see them. God, give us a boldness and a desire to see you move in a powerful way. And we will give you all the glory and all the honor. Thank you for this time today, God. And I pray that your spirit is stirring up in us the power of the kingdom. we may be manifested for your glory. I pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, Amen.